0: Let's stand now and let's turn in our Bibles to the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 28. If you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, there are men coming up the aisles right now with Bibles, and you just flag them and they'll put a Bible in your hands so you can hear the Word. Uh, You can also uh, see it with your own eyes. And so if you don't own a Bible, please make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you. Uh, today. Uh, Also, uh, this evening, uh, Pastor Tom Hinman is going to bring our meditation uh, from the Word. We'll have a time of worship. It's a little shorter service than normally on the Sunday nights, and a meditation from the Word, time to fellowship, and just bring a a kind of a soft close to uh, the beauty of uh, Friday and all the way through to today and into tonight, uh, the, uh, in celebration of the three greatest events in human history, uh, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In chapter 28, verse 1, Matthew writes Now, after the Sabbath, uh, as the first day of the week was beginning to dawn, that is Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb where Jesus was buried. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he has said, come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, behold I have told you. And so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy uh, and uh, and ran to bring his disciples' word. Uh, As they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, uh, saying, and here's our focus for today, rejoice, for he came, so he came, and uh, they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him, and then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will be with me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You this morning from the depths of our hearts and with a a sanctified um, quiet for this capstone that You placed upon Your Son's death on the cross for our sins in His burial, the clear evidence of His death for our sins and then Lord this resurrection and we just want to acknowledge all of us that know you that there is no other explanation for the quality of life that we live every day and every night apart from your son's resurrection thank you for his resurrection thank you for all of the theology of it, and thank You for the quality of spiritual life it has produced in each one of us. We pray that as we explore those things this morning, You would bless us, add the witness of Your Holy Spirit to these things, so that our hearts might rejoice in a way that is proportional to the magnitude of these truths and realities. And we pray for this work of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I think that very often for us, even as Christians, we're pretty clear on the reasons for Jesus' crucifixion and his death upon the cross. That it was required of him in order to provide us with the forgiveness of our sins. But I think in terms of the importance of the resurrection to our Christian lives and the resurrection to the gospel, that the gospel, the good news of God's offer of salvation required Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the significance of that resurrection can be a little little more fuzzy uh, for us. And so this morning we want to explore that a little bit. And I want you to notice there in verse 9 once again that Jesus' commentary to the women who came uh, not to discover a resurrected Jesus that morning but uh, to further uh, anoint his dead body. Uh, They were as surprised as anyone at his resurrection despite being forewarned related uh, to it. And Jesus, as he meets with them, Uh, he summed up his resurrection and the impact that he desired it would have upon them with a single word there in verse 9, the word rejoice, communicating that from Jesus' perspective, there's something about his resurrection that is not only given every Christian in the world a cause for rejoicing, but it is a cause for rejoicing in the uh, entire world itself. You notice that he doesn't say in the implication of, it, of that rejoice isn't rejoice from me, I died, I was buried, now I've been risen from the dead, so rejoice for me uh, in, in my resurrection. No, he's telling them to rejoice because there's something about his resurrection from the dead that is a cause for rejoicing in every single Christian. And that then raises the question, why is this resurrection such a cause for rejoicing? We know that joy um, is never a self-existent thing. It's always a response to a reality. It's always a response to uh, some kind of uh, good something uh, in our, our lives, that then that becomes the response to it. And when Jesus called on them, and he calls us to rejoice, it's because the resurrection has uniquely provided us uh, with causes for uh, uh, joy. So in our remaining time here, I just want to take some time to remember, and even more than that, to savor the indescribable blessings that Jesus' resurrection has brought uh, into our lives. I kind of think about it in terms of one of those little taster mini boxes of C's candy. And if you've ever been given one or if you've ever bought one yourself, uh, there's 15 of them in a box. And uh, I I haven't eaten so many of them that I've committed that to memory. I did Google it. Um, But but each one of those candies is a very, very different one from another, and yet, in my humble opinion, each of them very, very uh, tasty and You take a piece of that seas candy and you put it in your mouth and and then you just savor the uniqueness of that that blessing and then it becomes a part of us and I know that the things that i 'm going to share here this morning are truths that were are are familiar to us, but it isn't just so that that might be something where we say in our minds, I already know that, but to just stop and to think about um, what that particular issue related to His resurrection has brought into our lives, the quality of life that we're able to live and that we have as Christians because of that that resurrection, and so my hope is for those of you who are here today and you 're not yet Christians, that, uh, as we talk about the blessings of the resurrection you 'll recognize that God wants those to be blessings in your life, for you to see the need for those things in your own life, and that you would become a Christian uh, today as well. First of all, the resurrection of Jesus is a cause for joy because it declares Jesus. Uh, to be the Son of God. Uh, uh, Just as he claimed, and uh, it is demonstrated in his resurrection, is true. His claim to be divine, his claim to be uh, the Son of God, but also uh, God the Son. During Jesus' public ministry, he repeatedly uh, declared himself to be equal with God the Father. And he claimed that the Father would raise him from the dead On the third day, if Jesus was lying or if he was wrong about his uh, deity being uh, God the Son, then all that the Father needed to do to make that lie uh, uh, patently obvious would have been to leave him in the grave. And if his claim to deity was true, the resurrection would be the way for the Father to substantiate that claim, and that's exactly what uh, God the Father did in raising him from the dead. The Holy Spirit put it this way in Romans chapter 1. Paul wrote, and Jesus Christ was declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Uh, Jesus' resurrection was the validation of all that he taught, of all of his claims to be the Son of God and God the Son, and thus heaven's validation uh, of our making, the truth of Jesus' teaching, the foundation for our lives. As Jesus taught when He closed the Sermon uh, on the Mount, the most famous of His sermons, He closed it by declaring, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of Mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. And our lives are built on something that is rock solid when it is built upon the truth that Jesus taught about himself and in all ways, and that truth validated by the resurrection by God the Father. And so you just stop and think about the rejoicing that is ours in that. And all of our lives as Christians have tested uh, the truth of this. There's not one of us that gets out of life. Jesus knew it. Without storms. Without storms that are so great, it would blow the entire structure of our life into a complete heap and collapse. And we look at the fact that we are seated, clothed, and in our right mind sitting here today, and we realize that we are in the condition that we are in, the blessed condition that we are in, because our lives are founded on something that is sure and something that has never failed us in the course of our Christian life, upon the truth of Jesus' Word. And so reach into your little box of seized candies and uh, taste that one, and let it not just be, again, a theological truth, but to say, that resurrection has kept my life solid in a way that nothing else in human history can provide to man. And then second, the resurrection of Jesus is a cause for joy because it reveals Him to be the promised Messiah, the promised Savior of the world. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets spoke many, many prophecies from God in describing the Messiah or the Savior that he would send into the world to undo the damage that was done by Adam and Eve in their fall in the Garden of Eden. And the description, the prophetic description that he put together concerning this Messiah involved prophecies declaring uh, the fact that he would uh, die, that he would be buried, but he would rise again on the third day. Isaiah chapter 53 clearly predicted the death of Messiah. Isaiah writes, And he, that is Jesus, was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Later in that same chapter of Isaiah, therefore, uh, God declares, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors and yet in that great messianic psalm psalm sixty sixteen, 16 in the old testament verse 10 the lord declared that when the messiah come not, came not only would he die but he would not remain in that condition long enough for his body to see corruption in other words he would be raised and he would be raised very soon after his death Isaiah chapter 16, verse 10, David wrote by the Holy Spirit, for you, he says to God, will not leave my soul in Sheol. And then he declares concerning the Messiah, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And if Jesus had been born into the world, if he had been born of a virgin in the world, if he had lived an absolutely perfect and sinless life, if he performed all of the miracles that he performed and taught all of the amazing truths that he taught, and he died and was not resurrected, he could not be the Messiah because he would have failed to fulfill uh, the prophecy that was given Uh, in psalm 16 10 concerning his uh, raising uh, being raised from the dead and his resurrection confirms the fact that our faith in him as our messiah or as our uh, savior is perfectly placed that the truth concerning jesus the truth that he taught was is not only as we've just seen previously the foundation that is able to keep us stable in the nitty-gritty and demands of a fallen world, Uh, but here uh, is the recognition that our faith in Him as Savior is not a blind faith, but it's based upon the surest thing that exists in the world. And that is the very Word of God uh, itself, the more sure Word of prophecy, as Peter uh, put it. And so uh, the... Uh, opportunity, the cause for rejoicing in that. I think we've all experienced it in our uh, Christian lives where um, our faith is attacked. Uh, sometimes it can be attacked in a university classroom, sometimes it can be attacked uh, within a family, sometimes it can be attacked um, through uh, media or entertainment. Uh, and sometimes it can just be a demonic attack upon our own heart and and the attempt uh, of the devil to try and get us uh, to doubt the sureness uh, of of Jesus as our savior uh, that our faith in him for these things is is, is that he is worthy of that uh, of, of that faith, that our faith is, is sure and well-founded. And so Satan comes uh, against uh, those things within, uh, within our lives. But our minds are never, uh, no matter how badly he may attempt to shake us, our minds always are able to go back to the Old Testament prophetic portrait of the Messiah and how Jesus was and is the perfect fulfillment of those prophecies. Many of those prophecies, time-sensitive. In other words, no one can come into human history now and declare themselves to be the Messiah and have any hope of fulfilling those prophecies. If Jesus isn't the Messiah and the savior of the world then no one is the messiah or the savior of the world and this prophetic picture reminds us of the fact that our faith in him is well placed while on the cross jesus cried out uh, 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 uh i moved a little more quickly than i wanted to here number three the resurrection of jesus is a cause for joy because it reveals that man can be justified through a simple trust in Jesus Christ. Justification means that by putting my faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, honoring God the Father in that way, honoring the Son in that way, that God now sees me justified. He sees me just as if I had never sinned. He takes the very perfect righteousness of Jesus and puts it to our account so that for the rest of this life, positionally, and for all of eternity, when He looks at our lives, He does not see our unrighteousnesses, but He sees the righteousness of Christ. None of us could ever produce our own right standing uh, before God on our own. The only way that we're able to gain it is that faith in Christ and to have that righteousness put to our account and to be rendered justified. And the resurrection put God's stamp of approval on the fact that man is justified not on the basis of human effort, but simply by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul Put it this way in writing to the church in Rome once again in chapter 4. If righteousness by faith could be imputed to us, uh, I'm sorry, it, righteousness by faith is what it's referred to there, shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead to us uh, through him. Who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. And so during Jesus' public ministry, he declared that he would provide the full and satisfying payment for the forgiveness of our sins. He declared concerning himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then the hour of his crucifixion came, Jesus paid, died to pay the price for the forgiveness of our sins, but how are we as human beings to know that what he said in this regard was true, that his sacrifice was acceptable to God the Father for the forgiveness of sins? And the answer to that is the resurrection. The resurrection is the evidence that the Father accepted the perfect sacrifice of the Son for the forgiveness of sin. And again, that our faith that we have placed in Jesus, that faith is very, very well-placed and will never, ever leave us uh, disappointed. I think about, in this regard, Horatio Spafford's uh, famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, and I I mean, what Christian can uh, ever sing joylessly uh, that, uh, those lines that in that hymn that go like this? My sin, oh the bliss of the glorious thought, my sin not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. While on the cross, one of the final things, Jesus spoke seven things on the cross, and one of the final things that he declared concerning uh, his death upon the cross is he cried out uh, uh, to Telestai, it is finished. And the word, in speaking of our salvation, and the word to Telestai means to be paid in full. That the debt that was owed by virtue of our sin was paid in full by Jesus upon that cross. And so you stop and you think about someone, and maybe you've been in this place or are in this place. We can all certainly understand the illustration. Uh, Think of the relief that someone would feel if they owed this enormous financial debt a debt that they could never pay off in their lifetime. And someone stepped in and then uh, paid off that debt. It would be like the weight of the world being lifted off of their shoulders. I mean, they would leave wherever they had that meeting and learned about this truth. They would leave and be walking six inches off of, of the ground. But think of the debt of our sin. All of the guilt, all of the shame, all of the regret that most of us have related to our sin, all of the hopelessness in the face of sin, and all of that has been lifted off of us, off of our shoulders. And what an enormous burden That will break the body, break the mind, break the emotions in anyone related to the regret related to our sin and what a weight has been lifted off of each of us as uh, Christians and what a cause for joy that is. So often in terms of these causes for rejoicing related to the resurrection, they are things that we live in. And some of us have been Christians for decades. I have been. And these, these truths are important part of our life, but they become so much of what I live in. It's how I operate. It's how I process life. It's how I process my own life that I begin to take them for granted. I forget about them. And I can forget about the blessing that they are in my life and the quality of life that I have the privilege of living every day that would I would never otherwise be able to even remotely approach the resurrection of Jesus is a cause for joy because it reveals his victory over hell his authority over hell John uh, the apostle John In Revelation chapter 1, he sees Jesus in his uh, eternal glory in heaven, and he wrote, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, and I have the keys of Hades and death." And by the time Jesus got done with it in his resurrection with death and with uh, hell he had not only defeated them but he had reduced them to keys on his key ring and when you, a key on a key a key represents authority it repre- represents authority over a lock it represents authority over a door it represents authority for the room that lies on the other side Uh, of that uh, door. You can unlock it or lock it any time that you want. And Jesus has complete authority over death, over hell, because he has defeated them in his resurrection. And we stop and think about the blessing and the joy that is ours as Christians to live the life that we live hour in, hour out, day in, day out, year in, year out, without a single thought of ever ending up in hell one day, or ever ending up in an eternal judgment related to our sin, a judgment that we would justly uh, deserve. And and the reason is because we've been saved in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection from the righteous wrath that our sin was due. Again in uh, Romans chapter 5, much more than having been justified by his blood, we are saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we are saved by His life. Think about that issue alone. About the quality of life that is ours as Christians to be able to live our lives completely unburdened by the thought of, of hell, by the, uh, uh, that, the possibility of hell related to our lives, and and, the, and that judgment that has been lifted off of us in Christ. The resurrection of Jesus is a cause for joy further because it has provided us with a high priest who currently sits at the right hand of the Father and who ever lives to make intercession for us and who's able to save us, the Bible says, to the uttermost. Hebrews chapter 7 Verse 25, Therefore He, that is Jesus, is also able to save them to the uttermost, those who come to God through Him, since He ever lives to make intercession for them. Uh, Romans chapter 8, Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. There's hardly a more comforting thought for the child of God in the time of great pressure and great difficulty, great trial that comes into our life, than the knowledge that Jesus is presently praying for us. No matter if we are not on one other person's prayer list, we are on his prayer list, And he knows exactly what's going on in our life, exactly the situation, and he intercedes for us. And what a comfort that is to us. When it talks about him as a high priest, there's an element of it, uh, of him as an advocate related to that, or as a defense attorney in heaven before the Father. And so when Satan comes... Uh, before God the Father in heaven, he accuses us of having failed, he accuses us of of having sinned, and, and then calls on God uh, to be done with us, uh, to f- uh, be done with his plans for our lives on the basis of our sin, and on the basis of uh, our failure and the, in that kind of setting of a, of a courtroom and, and he brings those accusations against us and we're guilty as the old saying goes guilty of sin i i mean we are all wanting to be growing in christ's likeness and we should be growing in christ's likeness but we're not going to be perfect until we are in heaven he will have ample we will disappoint ourselves and he will have ample opportunity to condemn us uh, be, before God. And so he is the prosecuting attorney bringing this watertight case as uh, uh, in terms of how God ought to be done with us in his plans for our lives. But that discounts the defense attorney, the advocate, Jesus, who successfully defends us against every accusation that the devil brings against us before God. And it's not some big complicated thing. It doesn't take an hour of Perry Mason. Uh, or Perry Masonary, if you knew, used to watch the Flintstones. Then It's a very, very simple thing that happens. Jesus just stands up and in, in some way says, I know they're guilty, Father, but I died for the forgiveness of their sins. And Satan has nothing to say uh, uh, against that. And what a source of joy, I think, and confidence that is in our, our Christian life. That we're not only justified and forgiven of our sins at the moment of our conversion, but He forgives us of our sins all the way through this life until we are one day in that perfection of the glory uh, of heaven and that, uh, and that cause for joy that it is ours because of his resurrection and that he, as a result, ever lives to defend us in this way and intercede for us. Then the resurrection of Jesus is a cause for joy because it's the guarantee of our own future resurrection uh, into heaven. Uh, the, The verse is, as Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, knowing that He, that is the Father, who raised up the Lord Jesus, will also raise us up uh, with Jesus. His resurrection is the guarantee of our future in heaven. Uh, and just before I came out, I'm back in that aisleway right back there, and I'm stomping my foot to that song. Uh, saying that what what is true of Jesus in His resurrection has become true of me, and become true uh, of you as well. And what a cause for joy and confidence that is uh, in our lives. Not a single Christian needs to spend a moment's time wondering, whether we will one day be in heaven or we will one day be raised into its glory, it is a product, it is one of the blessings, one of the causes for rejoicing associated with uh, Jesus' resurrection. And then the resurrection of Jesus is a cause for joy because it reveals to us His power and His victory over death. It provides us with a victory Uh, over death Peter wrote in his first uh, epistle he wrote about the fact that as Christians we have been born again unto a living hope mankind needs a living hope and what is a living hope it is a hope somewhere on the face of this planet and in human history A hope that has conquered death. A hope that lies beyond the reach uh, of death. A hope that cannot be affected by death. And God has provided us with that quality of hope and that kind of confidence in the face of death through the death burial and the resurrection of His Son. And the reason that Jesus can offer everlasting life is because he possesses it you must possess it to be able to then give it to someone else and only he possesses this everlasting life to then give to us and mankind needs a savior who has conquered death and jesus alone is that savior he declared repeatedly of himself in this regard john chapter 11 he said uh, to Martha, I am, or to Mary, I, uh, Martha rather, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. John chapter 6, Jesus himself speaking, and, and this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Most famous verse in the Bible For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But Jesus, uniquely in human history, not only spoke authoritatively about life and death, there have been many, many people who have spoken authoritatively about life and death in human history. But he not only spoke authoritatively about them, but then he proceeded to demonstrate his authority over death through his resurrection. And no one can ever know true peace or no true joy in life until they have an answer for death, a victory over death. And only Jesus has provided that victory. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, the Christian alone can face death based upon certainties and not based upon the speculations uh, of man. We can face death with the confidence that our Lord has conquered death and He has deliberately and personally done it as a historical fact so that we might have the confidence in the face of death knowing it will merely usher us into the glory of of heaven. So all other discussions concerning death, what happens after it, they are uh, uh, all mere speculations. I never tire of the words of Sir Michael Faraday, who was a very strong Christian and one of the foremost scientists uh, in, in, in modern history and, uh, and, and certainly in his day, and, and what he said uh, on his deathbed when somebody came to him and tried to comfort him with speculations concerning what was about to happen to him related to death and what was going to happen after death. And... Uh, and Sir Michael Faraday said to the man, Speculations? He said, I know nothing about speculations. I'm resting on certainties. I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And it is the resurrection that gives us and only the resurrection that gives a person that kind of confidence in the face of of death and no thinking person in life can experience a joy who does not have number 1 an explanation for the origin of death its existence and then an explanation or a a hope in the face of death uh, that is beyond speculations the apostle paul wrote in this regard first corinthians chapter 15 but now Christ is risen from the dead and is become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for since by Adam came death by man also came the resurrection of the dead for as in Adam all die even so in Christ all shall be made alive and what a joy it is that is ours as Christians to have this confidence that we we live with but so often we don't trace it back to its origin. This confidence that we have, an unshakable confidence, that because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that when we die, we will be raised right into the glory of heaven. This mortal will put on immortality. This corruption will put on immortality. And so we think about these things. And I don't know how many I had, seven of them. It's half a box of candy. We could have done 15 this morning. We could have done 25 this morning in terms of the implications and the realities that have been addressed into our lives in human history by virtue of the resurrection. But this is sufficient enough for us to heed and to heed with reason the single great word in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus brought forth to the women as they came to the tomb uh, 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 to encapsulate His resurrection with the word rejoice. All of these blessings and so many more that are ours. Not merely because of the cross, as, as necessary as that is, but it's a triunity. It's the three. It takes the death, burial, and resurrection for all of, uh, all of these things to become ours. And God has given us such a permanent source of joy in our lives because of uh, Jesus' resurrection. What a blessing it is to realize how far-reaching those three great events in human history have been into the world but to stop and to think about how far reaching those three greatest events in human history have been into our own lives and the quality of life and hope and peace and joy that we have because of that so much to rejoice in so much to be thankful for if you sit here this morning and you are not yet a Christian, we're glad, very glad that you're here. But it is important in a culture that does everything that it can to ignore death. Uh, we, are, we are childish in our treatment of death as a culture. That somehow if we keep it out of sight and out of mind, it's not coming for us. It's coming for us. And we see how as Americans, we plan for Everything. We try to plan for retirement. We try to plan for old age. Uh, the planning that we put into any kind of trip that we're going to take. Americans are known around the world for being the most thorough planners in the world. We take every medication known to demand uh, for every single thing that might happen to us. We bring every change of clothes that might occur uh, in terms of the weather change. And we bring all of these multiple suitcases there to the airport. Or on a trip to Carmel, like we're still not in the United States and couldn't go to Walgreens and buy it there if we forgot it. We plan for everything to the nth degree but we do not plan for death. And we need to plan for death. We need to face the reality of death. And what is the solution to it? And there is only one thing that is needed in preparation for death. And that is to put my faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sin. To just come to God this morning... And say to him, God, I believe your assessment of me as a sinner. I've been less than perfect all of my life. I can't complain for that assessment. And God, I even believe that you are so holy that but one sin in my life disqualifies me for a relationship with you. And that doesn't make me sad. That's the God I wanted to find at the end of my search. But I also believe that you loved me so much that You sent Your Son to die on that cross as the full and satisfying payment for my sins, and He was buried and rose again on the third day so that I might put my trust in the Savior that pleases You and pleases Heaven. And so I do this morning. I turn from my sin. I turn from my self-will. I put my faith in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of my sins. I give you my life for the rest of this life and all of the life to come. And when a person will do that, God Almighty and the person of the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and we are born again. And it's as real as the chair you're sitting on. And it's free. It's all there for the asking. And in one moment, all of these blessings and more than we, that we could talk about on 20 Sunday mornings immediately become yours. But if you've never done that and would like to this morning, there will be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service. And we'd love to answer your questions and to pray with you to begin the relationship with God that you have been created for And apart from, you will never make sense of this life, much less be satisfied and no joy and peace. If you need prayer for anything in your life this morning, these same men and women would love to pray with you and for you as well. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, this morning we marvel at the perfection and the detail of the perfection found in your Son, in his salvation and our Savior, the perfect match that it is to our need. Physically, emotionally, mentally. This is what we've been created for. And most of all, spiritually. And again, we acknowledge that no one but you could have assessed, it, assessed as thoroughly the catastrophe of that fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to see the implications with the kind of clarity that you have much less than to provide, Lord, for each of us a salvation that would overwhelm all of it. And you've done it. And we rejoice and we say thank you. And we say thank you in the name of that Savior, in Jesus' name, amen. Mike, would you close us?